I mean, it was after my freshman year of soccer. This incredible year, he scored a 90-yard goal as a goalkeeper. He made sports center. It was like um, All-American and Louisiana Freshman of the Year and All-SEC and this incredible high. And then I, I go home for winter break and uh, my dad puts a gun to his heart and pulls the trigger and suddenly suicide enters my story and talk about someone maybe just coming into their own like yeah new girl on campus we're making a name you know and then boom that mega adversity it just kind of sent everything spiraling again from bulimia to her dad committing suicide to a life-threatening car accident the journey of finding her identity was a roller coaster ride full of ups and lots of downs it wasn't until Mo Aiken found Christ that led her to her true purpose in life. Now, a best-selling author and minister of God's word, it's Mo Aiken. Just want to go ahead and say thank you very much, you know, for taking time to join myself and Kyle here on the Underdog Podcast. Of course, this is a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, for sure. And I know we won't well, we'll be respectful of your time. As you've mentioned, there's the, the kids are sleeping right now. It's that sweet spot uh, and whatnot. Uh, I know I know. my kids are not sleeping right now. Mine probably just, <laughs> mine probably just woke up. So, But I would imagine with, with the research we did with Mo, she seems to have things on lockdown. Structure. 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 Sure. Maybe we'll learn about that today. <laughs> um, we could talk rhythms. We could talk schedule and organization. We okay. have to in this house. <laughs> I see the calendar behind you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so really doing, you know, a lot of the prep work and whatnot. Um, I'll be honest with you. You know, we've had, we're, we're 80 guests in and um, I actually, you know, shed a few tears just reading your story um, and how impactful it was and and, and what you went through, um, you know, from from being daddy's daddy's girl or, you know, girl dad, you know, to your emotional insecurity you know, um, through high school. And then of course, um, losing your father, um, unexpectedly. And I lost, I, what's crazy is your father passed. I think it was January 2nd, 2009. Um, January 3rd. Yeah. Went missing the second and and passed the third. Yeah. And my dad died January 2nd, 1990. So I saw those dates. Um, but then, you know, you go on to have a very successful, college career um and and of course you you know the the car accident and as well but um I want to start that girl that daddy's girl um that Mm -hmm. that you talk about you know going into high school you were a star athlete but you know you had your struggles when you entered high school and 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 things kind of changed with you know like I talked about like the emotional insecurity um and Mm -hmm. and things you struggle with so can you kind of take us back to that girl who was going into high school and kind of where life was at the time yeah I I think maybe um people might be able to relate wiring of an athlete or just a performance-minded individual I was um I was skilled. I was gifted athletically, um, academically did well. All of those things were to some degree came naturally, but I was also, uh, very competitive. I mean, out the womb was very competitive. Um, I was a perfectionist. I, um, man, put a lot of stock in, uh, my ability to succeed and succeed at a high level. But, you know, to sort of loop into where uh, my dad 
kind of wove into the equation as well. This had some healthy angles, but some unhealthy angles as well. A lot of that motivation came from really, really wanting to make my dad proud. I mean, he, he kind of lived vicariously. He was an athlete growing up and he had two girls and one turned out to be a little more athletically wired. And I think he just delighted in that. And that was great and, and beautiful and wonderful. And I had a, a good relationship with my dad. Um, but I also really wanted, I, I depended on his validation. And um, that was great at times and a great motivator. And at other times became really challenging, just relationship dynamic wise, because, you know, if I performed well, if I had a good game, if I got a shutout, I was daddy's best girl and front seat of the deep on the way home. You know, if I didn't play well or, you know, had sloppy goals or brought home poor grades, there were times I could get the silent treatment for multiple days in our home. Um, so it was kind of volatile. I was a daddy's girl for sure. Um, but it was almost like walking on eggshells sometimes. And I think that contributed when I was then in high school and, you know, had my goals of desiring the college scholarship. I was moving through the ranks of the Olympic development program for soccer and, um, you know, just working, working, working. Sometimes the game can lose its luster a little bit when you are sort of working, um, when it's become more of, of, of a job than a joy. And uh, I think that contributed quite a bit to just some of my emotional issues, my, my mental issues, my control issues, and my desire for perfection through high school. And the challenge was that when my mind was kind of wired that way athletically. It bled into other parts of my life as well to where I'm a developing young woman in high school and um, am desperate for the same degree of control in like all areas of my life, socially, you know, academically. Um, I was doing some modeling, some acting at the time. Athletically, it was sort of bled into every piece of, needing to prove myself and needing to perform. And ultimately that left me um, kind of confused to my identity really um, and struggling and, and those struggles and those needs for control started to manifest themselves in some pretty unhealthy ways, uh, developed an eating disorder that was pretty brutal, but also in a six foot frame, easier to hide. I was never frail, but I was, um, Man started as anorexia, evolved into bulimia, evolved into a combination of the two conditions, abusing energy pills. I would log calories in, calories out, summer months. I mean, I'm working out six, seven, eight hours a day. Just kind of took on a life of its own. And um, it was my thing, was my secret hidden thing because I wanted to make everyone proud. But I, I didn't necessarily need everyone to know what, uh, it took on the back end. I wanted sort of the, the, the gold medal, I guess. I wanted the acknowledgement, but um, I was willing to do anything to get it. And a lot of those things became very unhealthy. Where, when you were that high school kid and you're trying to find your identity, when was it that you were able to finally find that identity? Because from the, we say it all the time. You never know what someone's going through when you look at them walking through the hallway. You, a, a simple smile could right. change someone's day. But for you, from the outside to everyone, it's like, wow, she's got it all. 
when did you say, when would you say you found that, that identity and you started to kind of come around? Yeah, not in high school. <laughs> high school, uh, I was, I stuck out like a sore thumb. So add to the desire for control, you know, socially wanting to know where I would fit, wanting the boyfriend, all of those things. Yet I was, you know, the six foot tall, six foot one freshman who just stuck out like a sore thumb and um, was made fun of for it. Sometimes in jest from friends, still stung. Sometimes, you know, from those genuinely bullying, it was like the very strengths and uh, equipment that I carried to be great at one thing in my life, I felt ashamed for in the other areas of my life. You know, it, it felt, um, I, I, couldn't ha- I couldn't have it all. And so um, high school was really challenging. That, that, those control issues and that eating disorder really followed me the whole way through. And um, I, I committed to graduate a semester early to head to LSU why I did that, who knows? Because I stepped straight into spring training, just fitness, just fitness right out the gate as an 18-year-old in Baton Rouge heat. But uh, <laughs> I I left high school early. And um, man, when I tell you that was like much needed and, and an excitable exit, <laughs> I mean it because high school was tough. It was really tough. I, I don't think that uh, I could have probably won an Academy Award for how good I was at faking fine and you know, carrying myself with some degree of uh, strength, but inside those years were really, really challenging and were challenging family dynamics at home and uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of perfectionism, as I was saying. So it sort of seemed to me in my mind and heart, like this transition to college was a fresh start, you know, was going to be a new beginning and sort of um, leave, leave, a lot of things behind not a lot of kids out of out of Atlanta at least were swinging all the way over to LSU so it's still SEC but most people are Georgia UGA you know Alabama uh, so it felt like this opportunity of a fresh start and maybe finding my footing a little more and um, man it was it was those years that I think I began to come a little more into the fullness of who I was um, but they had their, their setbacks as well. I mean, it was after my freshman year of soccer, this incredible year had scored a 90 yard goal as a goalkeeper, it made board center. It was like, um, all American and Louisiana freshman of the year and all SEC and this incredible high. And then I, I go home for winter break and, uh, my dad puts a gun to his heart and pulls the trigger and suddenly suicide enters my story and talk about someone maybe just coming into their own like yeah new girl on campus we're making a name you know and then boom mega adversity it just kind of sent everything spiraling again so that the short answer would be that that journey of really finding my identity was a very big roller coaster ride a lot of ups and a lot of downs and um, I would say wasn't really until young adulthood that I started to come into the fullness of that. So touch upon real quick, Mo, if you could, the, um, the piece with your father uh, committing suicide, um, as you mentioned, coming home, and I believe it was that January 2nd day. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, like you said, you're, you're all LSU, you're SEC, you're having excellence, kind of getting out of that high school 
and then you have this tragic event happen. Um, can you kind of walk us through what happened there and how you overcame that inevitably? And, and then obviously that kind of leads to the next piece, but before we get to that third piece, um, yeah. and those that are listening, she is great. She's doing big things, but there was a lot of adversity in, in Mo's life and we're getting now to the second piece of this. So can you kind of touch upon that? And before you do that, to lead into it, can you talk about the, um, I read the whisper that you said in his ear after the, after you scored the goal, I thought that was pretty unique that you whispered something in his, uh, in his ear out on the field after you scored the goal. Yeah. I, you're going to have to remind me exactly what I said. I know I've written that. I think you said you scored. I, hey, yeah. guess what? I, I scored. I, I scored a goal. Dad. Yeah, yeah. Like it was the coolest thing. It was this moment, like to live for your father's approval for so many years, you know, when I lined up and took that free kick and it just soared, there was no replicating that through the rest of my career. That was such a unique, I mean, just moment in time took one bounce. The other goalkeeper misread it and went right over her head and into the net, man, it felt like Baton Rouge erupted. I mean, just, it was screaming. The stands were shaking. It was, so incredible but above all of the noise and all of the commotion and excitement I could hear my dad's voice and he was like fat Tarzan he was screaming beating his chest <laughs> this man was large and he was right under the press box just losing his mind and then I remember looking up and it was literally like his teeth were touching his ears he was just beaming so it was it was neat you know I'm a young woman at this point I'm, I'm off in college but I do remember running up to him at the end of the game and just jumping up into his arms and and I think I whispered something like I, I scored a goal dad like no brainer <laughs> but he was just he almost didn't have words and then they were still in town when it came on sports center the next day so we're all piled into the you know apartment and um it was just, it was a really really special moment and I think that memory I I hold so tightly to because it was immediately following that season that, um, yeah, I went home for, for winter break. And uh, one night my dad didn't come home, which was just weird because, you know, as maybe dysfunctional at times or as unhealthy as our interpersonal stuff could could be. He was still a family man through and through. So we didn't always see the weight of maybe what he was carrying the you know the dysthymic depression he was obviously navigating we were his joy and so we got the best of him um whereas you know it came out after his passing just different you know anecdotes from co-workers and whatnot that would maybe paint a picture that would make a little more sense but for us everything was so out of the blue and so he didn't come home one night we found a voicemail uh it was like my father's voice, but it wasn't my daddy's. It was very empty. And he just said he needed to drive around and clear his head. And there was a love note written right beneath the phone that just said, I do love you and had his name signed. And um, his cell phone was off, so we couldn't get in touch. We really, my sister and I didn't know many more details besides my mom sharing that we needed to find him and uh, urgently so, and that some financial issues had sort of come to the surface. Um, that was really the extent I, I, th I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, my dad's going to go to jail. Like uh, he's going to go to jail because of this. It was tax related stuff. And 
when we fell asleep that night and still had no inkling of where he was or what was going on, um, that was, that was hard. And we woke up the next morning, early the next morning, my mom just screaming, sprinting up the steps, this printed sheet of paper, just like crackling in her hands, get in the car, get in the car, grab your shoes, grab your things. And we, we pile into the car and we just start speeding around town to any of these places like that he frequented the auto body shop where his friend worked or, you know, different places he could be. And I remember begging my mom to see this paper to know what was going on. And she finally kind of shoved it into the back seat and she was like, here, read this and then please help me. And I, I ironed out this crinkled paper and it was a printed email. It was a suicide note from my dad that he sent at about one thirty in the morning. Um, no, no inkling of where he was. Um, but we ended up at his office and at that point authorities were in on searching for him as well. And it was just police officers and chaos. And, um, I remember sitting at his desk and tr- maybe <laughs> hoping I looked like I was helping by shuffling through papers, looking for clues or whatever it may be. But I was so overwhelmed. My, my brain like couldn't work. I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite put the pieces together that this could actually be happening in our story. And then uh, sure enough, three officers walked through the door and, and they, they spoke to my mom and said, ma'am, uh, we found your husband's remains. So that was, he'd gone missing January 2nd and in the early morning hours of January 3rd, he had, he'd taken his life and in an Alabama hotel room, he'd, he'd gone home. Something in me knew he's going to go home. He's an Alabama boy. And uh, he'd, He'd headed home and uh, ended ended things, and um, that was incredibly numbing and par- was paralyzing, really. And it was so challenging because two weeks later, I had to go back to school after I had looked at this Goliath of a man with the tiniest hole in his chest had taken him out on a morgue table, and this is my dad. This is my, you know best friend this was fat Tarzan in the stands just a month or so prior you know losing his mind and um I had to go back to LSU and I'm returning as this like star athlete and yet I am ravaged inside I feel abandoned I feel you know depressed I'm anxious I'm wrestling every feeling you could possibly wrestle (laughs) the trauma on the inside and yet again have to put on that mask, which I was good at for my high school years and fake fine, you know, and um, that was hard. That was really hard, especially as a very young woman to be in a prominent position. And really most people have no idea of your pain. And, and I think a lot of people probably find themselves there and a lot of people hide behind masks there, but um man, it, it kind of spiraled me for a season. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can't imagine. Um, I was eight when my father passed, you know, and I was just telling him before, you know, my sisters were in college and it wasn't until I was older that I realized my sisters knew my father for 18 and 22 years. My vision of him was an eight year old kid, you know, so that's all that I know. And, you know, one thing you talk about are, and we've had some plane crash survivors on the show who talk about kind of the stages of grief. Um, and I know, um, I think this leads kind of into the car accident, but your, your Mm -hmm. 
perspective through the car accident, I think is what stood out to me the most, because I know you said at some point too, you found Christ, but, Mm -hmm. and and can you talk about kind of what led up to that as well? And kind of give some insight on that perspective? Of course. Yeah. That whole next year was really messy. The, The staff at LSU was so wonderful to get me in with like grief counselors and uh, extended me a lot of grace on the athletic front of as much time as I needed. But I, um, it was messy. <laughs> I, I pretty much looked to anything I could to fill the void that I felt. And what's scary is I looked like a very normal college kid. Um, but I was partying, I was drinking, I was promiscuous. I was all of these things I had never really been. But you, again, you asked earlier, you know, that identity piece. Well, when did you come into the fullness of it? Uh, after the roller coaster ride of trying to be everything I wasn't <laughs> and trying to grieve in any way that I could reach, you know, any momentary fix. But I really began to get very depressed, anxiety attacks, just fill in the, the void with anything. Even at times, um, understanding why my dad did what he did and kind of seeing it as a viable option for myself. I, I would say even further, maybe less than like, desiring it, feeling like suicide was inevitable. And that sounds so strange, but maybe anyone listening who's, you know, been a survivor of someone's suicide close in their life, they're, they're, it's scary. You start to think, if my own dad was capable of this, and I thought it could never be, then maybe it's in me too. Like maybe I'm almost destined to. And at the depths of depression and the pit that those are terrifying thoughts and they're real and I remember headed home from Baton Rouge to Atlanta almost a full year later I was going home for fall break and I was really full of resentment and anger and hate and frustration and I was tired and um I was headed down the interstate at 1 30 in the morning because I'd gotten stuck in traffic and it's a, it's a long drive it's an eight-hour drive home and just almost zoned out watching the little lines tick by in the middle of the, of the lane. Um, and I remember really thinking, you know, I'd been kind of raised up in the church, but knew a lot about God, didn't really know God. I might profess it with my lips, but the way I live, you know, would look quite different. And um, I remember thinking, God, if you're so real, do something do something like reveal yourself to me because really I'm at the end of my rope and uh, I'm healing, hearing from everyone, you're a healer and you're a redeemer and everyone has these comforting words and I'm not experiencing any of it. Um, and so if you're so real, do something or else just end everything because I don't want to, I'm not going to keep living this way. Uh, it's just not sustainable. And uh, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> kind of dangerous to ask uh, the 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 maker of the heavens and the earth to do whatever it takes because um, he he will, and he's less concerned with our comfort as much as he is uh, our our eternal salvation, the state of our soul. And we want it to be pretty and easy and comfortable, but sometimes the most powerful encounters are in our greatest wreckage and our greatest places of brokenness and need when the heart is humbled enough to cry out either there's got to be more or save me and um, I remember next thing I knew I was just 
zoned in this place. The next thing I knew, my car was like in the center median. My wheel is just cranking and jerking. I'm going like 75 miles an hour. I snap out of it, Mo. I try to pull my wheel back onto the interstate, just shot straight across, hit an embankment, flipped my Jeep several times, and I landed upside down in this ravine by the side of the interstate at 1.30 in the morning, completely alone, very physically broken. I had broken uh, my neck, ribs, damaged lungs, liver, jaw, uh, face, brain, we're on the mend. Uh, but I remember hanging upside down in this vehicle and the cry of my heart had been, God, if you're so real, reveal yourself to me. And it was at, I mean, quite literally my most broken place that the, the spirit of the living God entered into that vehicle and just overwhelmed me completely. It was like this void I had known was filled. It was suddenly an, an overwhelming understanding of the depths of the gospel, of what Christ had done for me. It wasn't like a detached gospel, like sitting in church anymore, just hearing about this Jesus thing. It was a recognition of my own brokenness and my need for saving and that something I couldn't explain or put words around, a very real someone met me and called me redeemed. And not only that, just breathed life into my story, my heart, my joy. The man who who saw my wreck um, from a good ways back, I mean, of all people, he's a retired paramedic in the Navy. This is like who finds me. In the wreckage, he, he told my mom on the phone that he climbed down and shined a flashlight in the vehicle and he was prepared to find a dead body. My Jeep was mangled. Yeah, didn't, go ahead. You, didn't you say he was hot? Do I? I thought you said he was hot in the article too. Oh, I didn't, I didn't oh no, that. that was that was the EMT. <laughs> oh, okay. That was the one who was waiting when I awoke in the hospital. Okay. Uh, and he was waiting there. And he said, I just want to make sure you woke up. And I think I said something along the lines of, I just want to make sure you stay. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> That was a different guy. That was a moment later. Mind you, I'm coming off of a rough patch in college. I had eyes for all the wrong things. Uh, but yeah, this man told my mom, he, he shined the light in the car and oh, I shit. somehow shimmied out of my seatbelt and I was on the roof of the car because it was upside down. And he said, I just kept repeating that. God is beautiful. God is beautiful. Beautiful. And he's like, that's great. But if we can get you, your neck looks broken. So if you could make and I'm like, nah, brother, God is beautiful. I just, but uh, it was really profound because I did um, things change in my life significantly in that chapter of adversity and everything shifted. Well, thank goodness you're still here because right now we need a lot of that in yes, the world. Absolutely. My goodness. You, you have such a <laughs> tremendous gift. personality and, 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 you know, just your message and your energy. And as you said, I think, you know, being able to use that purpose to help save others. You know, I've watched a lot of your, your content on social media and it's awesome. Um, and like Kyle just said, you know, thank goodness you're, you're still here, um, to, to share that message. And, um, so we, we had a little LSU chatter going on before the podcast. Yeah. Let's just, let's just, let's just throw a knowledge <laughs> nugget out there. Cause this is going to, this is the next, uh, piece of, of, of the podcast as far as, uh, talking about uh, trying out for the LSU football team, which is fantastic. Yeah. So I was a field goal holder, Mo. We didn't talk about that. There we go. So I was a four. This I, I'm the well. I'm just going to be the self anointed 
best field goal his, holder in the history of college football. Is, is that fair, wow. Blackman? He doesn't drink anymore either. <laughs> so, Do they give a trophy for that? I, I, there- I think there should be, Mo. You know how important it is. Be. You should respect that. I think you will. So I was a it four. I, I held for four years. So I was a technically mm-hmm. a four four letter winner. But I held the clipboard as a backup quarterback. But um, long story short, I have my best friends. A lot of times were the kickers and the offensive linemen. Yeah. But the um, you know obviously is holding, make sure you get the laces out, tilting the ball the perfect way, hopefully and so and so forth and what people don't know it takes about 1.2 seconds and did you know that black i didn't know that I've okay i've heard you tell me um <laughs> but you know you go on so after all these things so after not only do you just recover you broke basically as you had said every bone and every internal organ was bruised and and battered you not only <clears throat> get back on your feet you go and say hey i'm gonna go make the lsu football team and that alone is just you know, and you know, obviously you see with Sarah Fuller at Vanderbilt, but I didn't know you were until doing this podcast and in the preparation that you were the first basically to go after this endeavor of making, uh, especially an SEC football team and then kicking. And uh, can you walk us through um, that experience and uh, what you did? Yeah. Yeah. I look back on that uh, fitness level I held at that time as I sit here. 35 weeks pregnant. And I think I did do that, (laughs) didn't I? At one point in life, I was able to do that. Um, Yeah, I, that was really interesting. I, you know, you mentioned the Sarah Fuller thing. And so it's sort of back on the forefront of people's minds. But at the time for me, um, first off, the the soccer team and the football team trained in the same facilities. And I had been, you know, an All-American goalkeeper at that point for you know, three years going into my senior year of soccer. And you're the all-time leading goalkeeper in LSU history. So, we'll we'll, we'll, like we'll just sprinkle that in there. I'll let you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Um, I don't know if anyone's ousted those stats yet, but we're going to pretend no one has yeah, and that yeah. I still hold that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but, and, you know, the weight room was just like my happy place. I lack a social life in college. I was a very focused athlete and, so I had a great relationship with a lot of the players, um, the coaching staff, the weight training staff. It was sort of like where I almost always was. So it, we'd mess around, we'd kick around, you know, out on the big indoor field. Um, it, it was just sort of fun, I guess, at the beginning. Um, but there was also a degree of, like, respect there and a degree of sort of earned stripes for lack of a better word, at least as an athlete. And so I, you know, we mentioned the Sarah Fuller thing and and that's on the forefront of people's minds, but it's so much seems framed around, you know, the, wow, the male female dichotomy, this great pursuit as a woman, that was very much not the motivating factor, at least for myself at that time. I was an athlete who was going into my senior soccer season and realized every NCAA athlete actually gets five years of eligibility, four in one sport. Uh, but you get a five-year clock. And yeah, so much of that adversity I'd navigated freshman and sophomore year and, you know, grown back in strength, pressed through, you know, junior year to get back to fighting form. And I remember thinking, to be quite honest, a big part of my thought was like, whoa, I could keep doing college another year and not have to really be an adult. That's amazing. (laughs) And what could I do? 
I can't golf. I can't swim. I was sort of racking my brain around the sports side of things. But I remember one day it just struck me. Um, I, I can kick the skin off football. I mean, we've messed around. We punt sometimes. We're doing kickoffs. We're just kicking around, and, and I'm really good. And at that time, there were, I think, two to three specialists, and three specialists maybe, and two were about to graduate. I mean, the actual specialist lineup on the roster was slim and thin. And I just remember thinking, you know what? I could do this. It'd take time because I still had my senior soccer season to play, but I'd have, you know, an extra, I'd come a semester early. So I'd have this fall season still eligible. And if I could, if I could contribute something to the team and if this could be an opportunity that, that stretches me beyond what I feel is even possible as an athlete, then why wouldn't I? And I remember thinking, you know what? And at that point, I mean, Christ was just the centrality of my story. So, most of my stories from that point forward centered around this, but I, I prayed and I said, you know, if this is, if this is just me making this up, if this is a terrible idea, Lord, like just close the door, just make it very obvious. It's a no and stop me in my tracks and I'll go on with life. I'm not, you know, sold out on this. And so I called one of the players. He was like, absolutely go for it. I'm expecting first person I called to be like, no, you're crazy. He's like, yeah, you, this is who you need to talk to first. So I just started to go through the levels of the coaches. I think I started with the weight coaches, and I'm, like, waiting for the no. And they're like, oh, man, yes. <laughs> and it was, like, to the next level of coach, to the next level of coach, to the next, where at one point I'm just on the elliptical in the weight room, and lo and behold, Coach Miles pops up on the elliptical right next to me. And he was the last one I needed to present this idea to. <laughs> And I'm like, this is where I get the no for certain. And he basically said, you know what? You're going to be treated 0% different because you're a female. There's no special favor here. There's no, you know, in on the door because it's a cool media story if the media eventually picks it up. Um, basically, if you can contribute something to this team, sure, you can You can work these 20 months that it's going to take and try out. But, um, but if you can't bring anything different or better than what we have it'd be like anybody else trying out it's a no and um so zero closed doors so I'm like well here we go this is gonna be a lot of work <laughs> but I began listing with the guys and I, I sort of balanced I had senior soccer season to finish but any spare moment was in there kicking and practicing it's really different form kicking a football than a soccer ball and had a lot to learn uh but just training and um giving it all I mean with a nutritionist, you know, I'm, I'm lifting with the guys. I'm doing a lot of, I stayed in the summers as psycho as that seems like voluntarily to train with the team, which in Baton Rouge heat. And I think one time we had a hundred up downs because these freshmen kept jumping the line and training. I mean, why? At one point I thought I'm psycho. This is the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever done because why is this being done voluntarily? But, you know, I trained for 20 months, um, and eventually tried out. I, I could hit a 53-yard field goal, um, but so could the starter. And uh, at the end of that run, that almost two-year time, I think when I tried out, there were eight specialists between transfers, walk-ons, incoming freshmen, you know. And the need wasn't as high. I couldn't out, you know, out the starter. And so ultimately, the answer ended up being a no, which was really hard at the beginning. 
uh, I was just mad. I, was just, <laughs> I just, you know, you're just, you're an athlete. You're working for the yes. And right. when it was ultimately a no, I was, I, I had my identity crisis. I went home and cried a lot and slept a lot. And uh, really, though, what I gleaned out of all of that was no, no isn't really a word of dismissal. It's a word of direction. And when I was able to embrace it that way, and I knew I had given everything I had, and I knew it wasn't a labor done in vain because there was so much that came out of that time. Um, and so many people that I was able to uniquely reach that I never would have before. I mean, I looked at the gain, not the, the cost. Yeah. And the gain was worth it. And the, the, the no was what it was, and they steered a different direction. But I, I couldn't sit and, you know, grumble forever that it didn't end up happening it, it was worth it love it love it no it's an incredible story think about this the all the way through so we usually end are we ready for rapid fire we yeah that was a rapid fire oh, question boy. um all right a few uh things here i'll start it off uh mr black oh. marriage words of wisdom for both we he we call ourselves black and decker so mr calvin blackman and me what do you have for us Oh, and this has got to be rapid fire. If you know yet from our interview, I'm not, I'm a long winded woman at say marriage words of wisdom quickly. Um, man, be, Oh, you know, about to see my daughter squirt into the room. And oh, that's okay. that's fine. Podcast. Let her come on in. Um, marriage words of wisdom. My most recent insights would be intentionality cannot be overstated enough. Um, we are very intentional in the ways that we carve out time uh, for one another, in the ways that we tag team. Y'all were talking about me knocking out so much by 31. It is because for the last seven years, I've had the most incredible teammate in that process. And he lays down his life for, for the, the mission. And uh, I lay mine down right back for, for the love and the intentionality of not just living these individualized separate lives, but understanding we're brought together in marriage to uh, be on a new mission and carry out a purpose. And for teammates in that, what does that look like in your life? What's the purpose of your mission and your family? Um, and that helps frame our yeses and nos and keeps us organized. And we are learning as we go. So that's about as much wisdom as I have at the moment. <laughs> yeah, great. I, I think the word I've been saying, be intentional, you know, through some of the things that we're doing through some leadership language and different things. So I think that's yeah. right, in, right in line with, with what you just said. Yeah, intentional and on purpose. And on purpose. Right. Just, and so yeah. I, I, I didn't know if we were going to ask this one, but you just talked about your partner. Can we give a shout out to Jeremiah? Yeah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And my question is... Um, if you can't tell, I'm huge on the girl dad piece. What type of girl dad? What does it mean to your husband to be a girl dad? Oh, you know what? He makes it all look so easy. He was one of six kids, sisters and brothers um, in his mix. So uh, he makes it look so easy when it's not easy. He's in a household <laughs> drama. We are all emotional. We are... <laughs> all over the board. My girls are so much like me. It is a whirlwind for him, I am sure. But he carries it with such um, grace and and such joy. And, you know, tomorrow he's taking our five-year-old out on a date. 
and the next day he'll take our three-year-old out on a date. And um, it's just really sweet to see the way that he leads our family, um, but with such humility and such tenderness. He's six foot five. He's the biggest presence in the room when he walks in a room, but he's like the BFG. He has no idea his size and how imposing he is. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of the same with his heart. He's just gentle and that humility, that gentleness, that tenderness resonates so deeply with our girls. I find that I'm actually, as girl mom, the one harder on them. Cause I'm like, it's my duty to raise them up into strong women, you know, and he's, <laughs> he just carries it um, somehow with such a lightness about it. And really our girls and your girls, they love their dads. Goodness, I was a daddy's girl. There's something um, so special about that father-daughter relationship. Yeah. And while a girl's heart is dynamic and up and down and all over the place, the more you can bring peace to the table, gentleness, uh, a, a, a kindness, a tenderness, the more they just melt into that. So. Love it. Love it. Hey, Jeremiah, right. holler at your boys. We'll, we'll send you ourselves. We need some help over here. I know. We're you calling you. <laughs> oh, hey, he lays down the law too when it's necessary. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, I, I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Uh, last, last final one. Yeah. I'll be curious okay. on this one. This is, yeah. I won't screw it at, I did John Harbaugh. Yeah, yeah, so you, I won't, you I butchered it. Leave I, it to me. I I'm not you. very good, Mo, as you can tell. I, I'm just the, He's the leader of the pack. I just try to supplement here, and throw, I get off off kilter. Yeah. So, but throw, anyway, you throw, guys are both crushing it. Throw, <laughs> throw it to me. We'll appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, you may not say after this last question. Um, just kidding. Um, all right. <laughs> so, before you answer this question, you have to be willing to help us make it happen. I love. Oh, the, I always love the look and the response when I say oh. that. I'm about to have a baby. What are you asking of me? I have no time to give. <laughs> she's got she's five weeks, man. You're gonna really put her on the spot? Wow. See, I'm got <sighs> see what I avoided. Yeah. All right. All right. So who is one person we should have as a guest on the underdog podcast? Oh. Oh man. You're gonna have to make me sit and think for a bit. Um I don't know. Have you guys talked to uh, Sam Ocho or Ben Watson, both of them NFL guys? Have um, no, we definitely know who they are, and we have not, yeah. but would love to. I follow those guys. Yeah, I could. I could reach out to either of them for you. They're they're great, great guys, great leaders in in the faith, and have navigated such unique stories and both of their lives has navigated, you know, unique journeys to be where they are. So those are the two that are coming to my mind, maybe just because I'm thinking football right now. But I maybe I'll brainstorm and shoot you a, a, a DM or an email or something when, when something rich comes to my mind. I, I look up to so many, um, so many incredible individuals. I would say too, I mean, one of my sweetest friends, she is is one of my closest, Maya Moore. She's on the basketball side of things. Yep. And mm -hmm. she is a powerhouse. She crushes Sam and Ben combined in the way she carries <laughs> carries life in such a dynamic front. So maybe I'll reach out to those three and see who would say yes. If that, that works for you. That, that would be, be amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> some of our old coaches oh, are actually... Write it down. Yeah, some of our old <laughs> coaches at Miami are at the New Orleans Saints. So you could even mention that to... I know, um, I don't know if he's still with Watson, uh, is with the um, Saints anymore, but we... 
He have... just retired. Okay. He's, he's all wrapped now. So we got some guys there, and then we had Tamika Williams, who used to play at UConn. Uh, she was a, oh, cool. a great player there. And um, I think she actually had mentioned, but never we haven't been in con- contact. But, yeah, she would – we would love to get Maya Moore on as well. We, I've been following her, but yeah, and, and Sam as well. So yeah, anything you can do to help uh, your underdog podcast family. You are now family, Mo, of Woo-hoo! the underdog podcast. Absolutely. So now you can have baby four. He did not <laughs> put I you didn't. in early birth. I didn't know so. what you were going to put on my plate. I <laughs> said, listen, we're tapped out. <laughs> my yeah. wife would listen to this, and if I put something on your plate, she would have my head. So yeah. I knew better than that. <laughs> and we're at about a 50% rate. We need you to hit on one of those because we had well, – we know we, we David Shaw might be a little busy, but he said he gets Christian McCaffrey. So we're, we're still waiting on that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we got a couple guys. You know, John Harbaugh just said he's going to get his brother Jim on for us and his – brother-in-law tom crean so we'll see we'll see you know but we know mo is gonna mo's i I have a feeling mo's gonna get one of these three so i feel the pressure (laughs) i know i know no pressure you haven't had pressure i don't want to throw your staff (laughs) (laughs) well i i know the kiddos are up from their naps so we are gonna let mo get back to and we kept you way longer than 30 minutes yeah but we love it this is our longest one we've done almost an 80 episodes. Yeah. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. How can last thing, how can anyone follow you? Anything you can direct them? I know your website, anything you want them to follow? Sure. Yeah. Moisom.com is the website. We've got tons of stuff on there. Um, great resources for people. And then I'm most active on Instagram at Moisom. I, uh, I love a little Insta, so you can find me there as well. Those are probably the two easiest places. Yeah, you got like 45,000 followers, just a, just a little little group there. Yeah. You know what? And the ones that are most active, still my mom. Still the people who comment <laughs> in the most, have the most to say on all my posts. My mom, my aunt, my cousin. But yeah, it's fun. It's that, really fun see, to I, use I, that. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like uh, 60 away from 1,000, so I'm just trying to be like 1, 1, 45th. So, hey. I, I expect, you know, a follow maybe, you know, can I get a, a Mo follow? I started Is that following. a deal? Yeah. All right. Deal. Yeah. yeah. At me on something. I'll follow you right back. Yeah. Decker KP. Don't forget. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll send you some it. swag. We'll give you some UDP. You guys are making a lot of demands. Get us people. <laughs> follow us on social. Yeah. So you're the celebrity, not you us. I'm a fan of Miami, Ohio. <laughs> I can't do all these things in this season. <laughs> you said be intentional and be on purpose. So I, I'm just right. trying to follow the words that you gave me. No, no, you were, uh, this is, this is, this is awesome. Yeah, I, I feel sure. extremely blessed. You don't have to do any of that, by the way. Um, but we're just <laughs> thankful for your hour plus time you took with us today. And uh, we will be definitely be following, rooting for you. And uh, best of luck in a couple weeks with Baby Four. And uh, can't wait to see and follow. And and uh, the best is ahead. So thank you very much. Thanks so much, you guys. I appreciate you. All right, Mo. Thank you very much. Yep. Thanks, Mo. Bye.